0: Mason, good morning. Thanks for being in the show.
1: Good morning. How are you?
0: Not too bad. Thank you so much. How have you been? Excited to be here. Absolutely. Uh, Mason, I want to get started by this profile, a LinkedIn profile of yours that treats 70% of your GTM teams need upskilling. What exactly do you guys mean by that or you mean by that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So there's some recent data that came out from Gartner that just showcased when you asked employees, do you feel equipped and like you have the skills to effectively do your job? About Mm -hmm. 70% of employees said, I don't feel like I have all of the necessary skills to effectively do my role today. So when I Mm -hmm. say 70% of your go-to-market team needs upscaling, it is very clear that when you look at marketers, sellers, and customer success team members, they don't necessarily feel equipped, which it makes sense to dive a little bit deeper, this is, so this is no longer data. This is just more of what we've understood and what we're seeing in the market of, if you think about it, people graduated from college in 2019, Mm -hmm. 2020, and they entered into a COVID work environment in which everything was remote. So you've got sellers that have only ever done remote sales. And now we're seeing events coming back. We're seeing in-person meetings coming back and they're three, four years into their career. And they've never had to do an in-person meeting. They've never hmm. had to do an actual in-person conversation. They're used to being able to have their notes on their second screen. So they don't know how to even have some of these in-person conversations, not because they are hmm. talented and skilled salespeople. It's just literally, they've not had to do it. So, I mean, that's just one prime example of the fact that people literally do not have the skills to effectively meet the modern needs of marketing, selling and success.
0: Makes sense. Uh, do you think it's it's for the new entrance uh, into the GTM space or even the old timers? Because we had the shift, right? So people were used to doing physical selling, maybe field marketing, then for a period of two, two and a half years or so. So they went back to digital selling and, and marketing. Right now it's opening up and then coming back. So uh, is it also just not the, the fresh uh, folks that are coming into the the, the industry, but also the traditional or the uh, experienced people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's generally across the board now. I, I gave the example of in-person cause that's something that we're actually at, at, at sales assembly, we serve a lot of CROs and that's kind of the main thing that they're talking about with their sales reps, but let's reverse it. You've got now a much more digital focused community. I mean, before COVID there weren't nearly as many communities as you see today. Uh, I feel like there's a new podcast. Coming on the scene constantly, like we have salespeople that are account executives, mm-hmm. podcast hosts, and when identify themselves as content creators more than a salesperson because they recognize when we create content mm-hmm. and educate our buyers, they'll buy from us. You did not see that in right. 2018. That just wasn't wasn't a concept. So now it, I, I, it's sure. both sides. So to be clear, because there was such massive. I would say advancement and just a, a digitalization of the sales role That's right. and then in the customer success role because of remote selling, because of really just these remote teams, younger people are now having a struggle to go back in person because they just literally haven't had the experience. They didn't need that training. And on the flip side, maybe more experienced people are still struggling with the remote environment. For example, I was talking about the CRO hmm. a couple of weeks back and they were talking about the fact that they do not know how to do effective sales enablement in a remote environment. They do not know how to effectively do training because you have people that join into mm. a Zoom, they keep camera off, they're working on something else, and then they check the box they were trained on mm. a skill, but then they don't really know how to do it. So then how do you actually quantify that your teams have the right skills? We try to fix it with technology, mm. but no amount of technology mm. fix the fact that somebody doesn't know how to do a discovery call that somebody doesn't know how to qualify, that somebody doesn't understand how to get past the surface level issues and get to the root core of the problem. No amount of technology can help you identify how to fix those things. Let me reframe that. They can help you identify it, but the technology enough Hmm. isn't enough in and of itself to fix the challenge. You have to have training and skills development to then actually overcome those challenges.
0: Sure. So is is that what you're trying to address through uh sales assembly is that the service that you provide
1: yes i mean we are a a skills development platform so what we offer is role specific and persona specific skills development across about 15 different roles and then the other thing that we offer is specifically peer-to-peer community so every single month we're hosting a peer session for sdrs Mm -hmm. and aes csms and leaders across the different departments so that they can not only just get great skill development, but for example, I mean, we're what four or five months into this concept of, of chat and GBT. And now what was a fringe concept of AI is now being asked to be here to by marketers on a daily basis now. So again, it didn't really exist to most people five months ago. And now it's correct. It's a very real again, you can't log into LinkedIn and not see chat GBT. So from that perspective. Yes, we can offer skills development and skills training, but what's probably more helpful yeah. in the immediate, because nobody's an expert on it. Right. And anybody that claims to be an, everybody's just That's kind true. of experimenting. So what's better right now is let's get together with other peers that are also experimenting with these things and we can learn from one another. So nobody's claiming to be an expert on this, but we're just saying, this is what I'm actively learning right now. This is what I'm actively doing. And I can draw from your experience across, we've got about B2B tech companies that are involved. So we can draw from the experience of 200 different companies to then actually synthesize here are some great action takeaways that you can get out of your peer session so that's really what we do in a nutshell is skill development and community
0: mm, sounds like a great platform uh, i wanted to shift gears and i just wanted to understand your journey so far how did you start where do you where? and, and uh, what are these some of the ups and downs you had as a marketer what are the learnings anything that you would like to talk about?
1: Yeah, I mean I I actually got my start selling print ads in a parenting magazine in Mississippi. Um so mm. I you know I, I, I used to actually really discount that experience. What I'm now mm. learning is what was interesting about that role is I had no marketing support and there was no so I was my title was account executive but there was again no marketing. There was no outbound cold calling team there was no sales team there was no you know account management team the account executive was truly full funnel in that organization so i would have to prospect close the deals manage the accounts until they ended up churning and i think that experience really gave me a, a fantastic foundation to understand the entire go-to- market team because i had to live it the other thing that I, I take away from that is when you actually are responsible for the lifetime of the customer, you're a far better salesperson in actually generating long-term mm-hmm. profit because I, whenever I would sell someone, I'd make promises and then I didn't mm-hmm. pass it to anybody. I had to deliver on those promises. So that's how I got started True. from there. And I worked there um, really until COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, it was mm-hmm. laid off. So I've actually only been in the marketing mm-hmm. space for think about three and a half, four years at this point. Um, So I ended up landing at a fintech SaaS company and onboarded them to Salesforce and Pardot, underwent a ton of messaging work. And I was their first marketing hire. Did a lot there that truly never saw the light of day because I was just very bad at getting executive buy-in. I didn't know how to do that. Again, I was a first marketing role. So what I realized through that is I really needed Mm -hmm. some mentorship and support. So that's when I went agency side. So I actually ran the marketing of an agency. Um, and then to, to get to where we are today, that agency was an ABM agency. So ended up hosting right. about a day long virtual conference that was called abm a had 20 different sessions dedicated to account based marketing. Um, apparently that, that day-long conference went really well uh, and helped us actually get acquired by the world's most awarded B2B agency. So I went from 25 person to a 600 person team, and was running the marketing and sales cool. of the ABM division of Gravity Global. Did that for about nine months, and then um, the the career path that that was laid before me was going to be an incredible opportunity, but it was primarily focused on being a seller, and I really love marketing. So I ended up saying, cool. you know, I really want to go on a marketing route. So that's how I landed at Sales Assembly about four months ago. So now I'm running the demand gen. Uh, program right. for.
0: I, I was going to say that it seems to be a very organic journey in terms of your ABM uh, experience or or, or the, the, you becoming a practitioner, right? So, how are you uh, approaching ABM for sales assembly?
1: Yes, I mean, admittedly, right now, as we look at account based marketing, I think one of the foundational things that you need before you truly launch an account based program is you need really solid messaging, right. you need some level of demand program. And then from there, you actually need to identify how are we going to target accounts and not just go to sales and say, Hey, you know, can you give us a list? So in the overall ABM journey, where we are right now is actually standing up that demand program, actually creating consistent. And from there, the way that I've approached account-based marketing in the past is again, you, you start with your total relevant market. So not the total addressable market. So I'll give the example for sales assembly, our total addressable it's about 20,000 accounts because we serve B2B tech. We got that more specific into specifically about 3,000 accounts. Our total relevant market is those 3,000 accounts. Mm-hmm. And then what we're doing from there is as I'm standing up our program around content and specifically thought leadership, the next stage would be after we've gotten mm-hmm. that into a consistent cadence, the, the approach is going to be very specific targeted plays with our sales team that are specific to potentially industry verticals. So when we look at B2B tech right now, there's Mm -hmm. not a ton of funding that's happening. There's not a ton of companies that have, you know, that hockey stick level growth. Right now we're more in the efficient growth kind of survival stages. The exception for example, would be the AI industry. A lot of AI companies are still getting significant levels of funding and are having that exponential Mm -hmm. growth we had seen kind of in 2020, 2021, 2022. So once we have the effective demand yeah. program running, the next approach could mm-hmm. be and I'm not saying it, is, but it could be running a specific account based program towards 50 AI companies, getting really catered messaging, mm-hmm. getting really specific with the content that we create, and actually then creating a flow through which we bring them from the top of funnel awareness of, as a sales team, even though you can educate in mm-hmm. mass, there's so much that's going on in AI that people don't truly understand what all the different AI companies can do. So even in your sales process, you're gonna have to do some level of education and storytelling, and then we can go into mm-hmm. how the skills to do that. And then that leads into unique skill development, partner with sales assembly. So again, in the overall AI journey, right now, or not AI, ABM journey for sales assembly specifically, we're really at that initial stages of the foundation and starting to run very targeted in-pipeline programs versus more of um, pipeline generation programs.
0: Got it, okay. You talk about something called a scrappy ABM. What exactly do you mean by that? So I've read somewhere, at least you mentioned two or three places where you talk about something called scrappy ABM.
1: Yes, I mean, you and I both know that for a lot of people when you hear the term ABM, people think display ads that are really targeted and, you know, running it through an account mm, marketing mm, program or platform. And then once you overcome that misconception, the next misconception is typically, oh, ABM is a super highly expensive, I need a ton of technology. I need a lot of like prep work and it's going to take 17 months of foundational work and technology before we can even launch our first program. And I also believe that is false. So. I look at, I've started to, to coin this term of scrappy ABM because it is, you can get started with your existing tech stack. And as cheesy and as corny as this sounds, the thing that I'm really trying to help people recognize is that ABM is less of a strategy when you're being scrappy, it's more of a mindset. And it's saying, right we have 50, 100, 200 accounts that we're saying, these are our best fit customers that we want to close in the next like year or two. Let's not making excuses. Let's stop saying, Oh, we don't have the tech stack, we don't have an ABM platform, we don't have intent data, we don't have a data enrichment platform. It doesn't really matter with the existing right. technology with the existing resources that you have. How do you become the number one source of information for those 50 accounts specific to your industry and to your product and what your product solves? So that can be done through a podcast, that can be done through a newsletter that can be done through webinars again there's a mm. variety of tactics but it's it's tactic agnostic and it is just simply recognizing here are some really simple things that we can do that are very low cost that are highly effective so my favorite mm. personally is a podcast approach um, there was a book that was written by a named a uh, man named james carberry that is called content-based networking the premise of the show is you know, if you're an SDR trying to get meetings with high up leaders, right. you're going to mostly get no's. Whereas when you ask someone onto a podcast, a lot mm. of podcasts are seeing an 80% success rate with booking that are at. Absolutely. And I, I'll be clear. Like I've been on a lot of podcasts. I have mm. think I said, I, think I said no to like two where I looked I was like, this is clearly going to be like 10 minutes of a conversation and then a, a, a 20 minute pitch to try to get me to buy to one relationships with your target accounts, I mean, I call it my $30 ABM strategy because I live stream my episodes for my own podcast, it mm-hmm. costs me $25 to get a StreamYard license. And then I have a speaker account, $7 a month. So it's truly a $32 ABM strategy. And then you free LinkedIn, message those people, say, hey, I've got this show, would you like to come on? Again, 80% success rate in getting people on your show. Mm-hmm. And then what I've found is I don't I don't pitch them. But again, I'm truly valuable and helpful for the individuals. What I find over time, and that's the key phrase here over yeah. time, they build trust with me, right. they find value from me, and then they end up saying, Hey, I need support with X, Y, and Z. And at that point, sure. I'm no longer a vendor here. And when I'm here, yeah. can you help me find somebody? And I say, Oh, actually. I'm that somebody that you're looking for. Actually, now that I've left gravity um, I was talking with some, some people that I had formerly sold or marketed to. Um, and I, I was honest with them. I said, you know, I was, I was worried that when I left gravity, I might lose some of these relationships because maybe the relationship was based on the mm-hmm. trust you had in gravity than the relationship we had. And they said, no, it was the opposite. We bought from gravity. because We trusted you. So again, the trust that was built those podcasts and that is a very right. scrappy approach it's a longer term approach you're not going to see results in 3 months but personally right. case that my podcast that cost me $30 a month generated a million dollars in new revenue that was sourced through podcast in an 18 month mm. time frame there was nothing for 6 months but right around right. month 7 and 8 we started to see pipeline opportunities mm. generate and again 18 months down the road, a million dollars in revenue, and Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be really bad at quick math, but I mean, we're looking at less than a $500 and maybe less than a $600 financial investment, and then the time Mm -hmm. to host an episode for an hour a week. So that's when I I say scrappy ABM, like that's a highly tactical example, but it is just who's our target audience? Who is our intended buyer? How do we build one-to-one relationships with those people? become known by right. them, become valuable to them. And then when they're ready to buy, mm-hmm. they'll like it right. No,
0: Right. Now, I completely resonate with what you're saying. And I think this has also been our approach. And and when we, before we started the podcast, right? So we've been doing newsletters and a lot of LinkedIn engagement. So we actually pay it forward, right? And then when we go on an approach for speaking slots, right? So we get like upwards of 95% acceptance because... You're not trying to sell any to, anything to them, right? So you, you, you've you sort of given it first and then you, you're going back when you're required. So I think it's a, it's a great strategy, but not everybody can do podcasts, right? So while it's not the most difficult thing to do, right? Uh, I have hesitated myself before I started this, but when I started doing this routinely, right, it becomes very natural. It's like any other meeting, right? But it's not something that everybody are willing to do or wanting to do. So. Are there any other scrappy types of ABM tactics, right? So similar to this, but for for people who do not want to leverage this channel.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've got plenty on that front. But I mean, before we we dive on to, to kind of this idea, I want to pause for a moment and yeah. just say, anything worth doing is worth sucking at for a little bit. So I hear there's a lot of hesitation to be yeah. a podcast host, being a speaker. Um, or even being a writer, but the reality is anybody that started at something was very bad at it at first. And then through maybe getting skills development or specifically focusing on training that side of them up and then through a lot Mm -hmm. of practice, they get a lot better. So if you go back and listen to my first podcast episode where I was a host or the first podcast episode where Mm -hmm. I was a guest, both of them are terrible, absolutely. I saw you think. This. I so you think. No, 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 no. no. I know. <laughs> they're, they're very bad. Um, like, so I'm not I'm not trying to like downplay. I mean, they were very objectively bad episodes. I didn't know what questions to ask. And when I was a guest, I didn't know how to respond to questions. Now, I've done this for hmm. two years. And I, I guest on podcasts right. probably two, three times a month. I record four to five episodes a month for for other podcasts where I'm a host, I've just done it a lot. Now it's a lot more natural, easier. For you. So just to throw that no. out of.
0: to so who, who so are said practice like, makes one perfect. Right. And I think that's what you're talking about.
1: Exactly. Again, I, just to, then I'll be quiet about podcasts, but I mean, the, the reality is you have the potential of an 80% success rate of getting on a conversation with your best fit potential customers. The first few might right. be clunky, but they'll get better and you'll mm-hmm. build a one-to-one relationship with the people that you're trying mm-hmm. to get in contact with. So I'm really bullish on podcasts specifically because I think it's an incredible foundation for a scrappy program.
0: Let's just stick to podcasts. I have one more follow-up question. So let's say you, you get one of your best fit uh, accounts, right? somebody, a uh, decision maker from there. Uh, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to extract the problems? or I know you're trying to build relationships, but In general, right? So what's the approach that
1: you're taking? Yeah, I mean, I think there's really two approaches. So I'll I'll share the one that I've done most frequently. And the the podcast that I've been running for about a year and a half or two years now is on marketing careers. What I do is I interview people that are actively hiring, and then I try to place talent Mm -hmm. in an organization. We do not talk about marketing. We talk about the ways in which they've grown their career. And what I end up doing Mm -hmm. is essentially having an an hour interview where I understand someone's job history and the ways in which they think about marketing based on the ways in which they've grown their career. And then the peripheral benefit is I pull someone out of my network and place them in their organizations. So as a result, I have a one-to-one relationship with a hiring manager for a department that I'm trying to sell into. And I've placed someone Mm that is in my larger LinkedIn network in their organizations. We've done that. Not let me, let me reframe that. That's not a we. That was my my wife and I. Not in my own podcast. So like when I say we, it's literally my wife and I. I okay. my wife is a nurse. So like it's not a massive company strategy. It's just something I did on the sure. side as I was working in an agency. We've done mm-hmm. that thirty times, and of those thirty, in a twelve month trailing time frame, I closed six of those accounts at a million dollars of value. So works. And again, it doesn't come it does. across as it doesn't come across as salesy. And to be clear, like I didn't place these people in the organizations just so I could have that internal advocate. Like I genuinely like helping people in sure. jobs, like it's just the right thing to do. And as yeah. a benefit yeah. of giving so much first, I built trust. And then they mm. came and bought from because I've been in their circle. I've been in, I'm someone that's top of mind. So like a CMO that I've now known for two years that was a target account just commented on my mm-hmm. LinkedIn post this morning. And she is incredible. Okay. And I, I genuinely mm-hmm. find her to be a, a friend in this community, but also mm-hmm. she continues to, to work at organizations that I want to sell into regardless of where yeah. I land. So again, from that perspective, whenever she has a challenge, she knows she can just reach out to me. Like, I don't have to go and sure. like cold call her all the time because we're actually friends. We just keep up every two to three months from now. That's that's one play. The other play is then what we're doing more of right now for sales assembly, which is we're inviting our target accounts on to talk about the ways in which they're up leveling their teams, talking about the ways in which they're actually focused on skill development. So it's not Mm -hmm. a it's not a sales pitch, it is we are a skill development company. What we're talking about is hey, you are one of the most successful sales orgs in your industry how are you specifically training and developing your team to be so successful? And we make them the hero of the story. And we talk about how incredible they are at the end of the day, nobody wants to come onto a podcast and hear, Oh, your strategies are terrible. You should buy Mm -hmm. your
0: product.
1: I don't want to call anybody's baby ugly. My goal is to encourage Mm -hmm. them and say, if you need supplemental and additional support, we're happy to help, but Mm -hmm. you honestly have a great org. You're doing a lot of good Mm -hmm. things you know that's struggling so maybe you could refer us their way so again it can be a target account close but the other thing that i found in especially in b2b tech my target accounts typically know each other it's a very small community so even though i may not sell directly to that same target account what i found is that series b and series c cmos typically are in the same communities and may actually refer me to somebody else so it can work one of either one of those ways. So that was a long-winded explanation for the ways in which you can build a podcast around um, helping your target accounts. Yeah. So if you go on LinkedIn, and again, this is admittedly a very LinkedIn focused strategy because I primarily serve an audience that is very active on LinkedIn. You can take this, these principles and apply them elsewhere. But I'm going to, for the purpose of getting very specific, we're going to focus on LinkedIn. Uh, You get about a hundred connection requests on a weekly basis. So if you're looking at being active on LinkedIn, the best thing that you can do is intentionally connect with your target accounts on LinkedIn and send out a hundred a week. Are you going to get a hundred accepts? Not a chance. And a lot of people have asked, okay, well, what do I put in the message? You don't put anything in the message. Like you just send them a connection request. Two reasons. One, what the data has shown is that there's a higher acceptance rate on a blank connect request. And then two, it actually saves you time. So you can do more of it because I don't want this to take a day. Like this should take at most, you're sending out 20 a day. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday should take you at most 20 minutes. Like, and that's, that's really taking a long time. So And then the other thing that you do is you hit the bell on their LinkedIn profile once you start following them. And what ends up happening is whenever they post on LinkedIn, you get notified. So what you can then do is go and engage and comment and like all of their content. And I can't tell you the number of times in which, because I showed up so frequently in content and never sent a DM, again, if I show up every single time you post for three months and I never make an ask, they're typically reaching out to me. And they're saying, hey, I just wanna say like, thank you so much for engaging in my content. I'd love to hop on a quick chat just to get to know you. At which point I've now created an opportunity where my target accounts are reaching out to me. And if three months goes by and they don't reach out and you're like, all right, I really need to get on a call with them. What you've just done is for three months, no asks supported and encouraged and shown up for them to where if you can, you can then, with actual genuine knowledge, you can show them. And this, this is a quote from a good friend named Sam McKenna. She's huge on sales, but it's this concept of showing you know me. So don't just do cold outbound and say, oh, I see you went to X college. I sell a SaaS product. It's not personalization. But if you actually can truly show them that you know them because you've been engaging their content for three months, then when you send a DM. You actually present as someone that is kind and friendly and encouraging and supportive and knows them. And it's not a false perception. It's a real relationship. Now, the question and the pushback I always get is, man, three months is a long time. Like that's a whole quarter. The pushback I then give is, yeah, but you're not hitting your numbers this quarter. So what are you going to do differently that'll make you hit your core numbers next quarter? And if you only focus on hitting short-term results, you will not get the compounding effect that you get from actually focusing long-term. So yes, I know short-term is a difficult challenge. So from an ABM perspective, here's a short-term play that then gives you more of the runway to do some of these more long-term things. And the best short-term play is always looking at your closed loss pipeline or your the, the deals that just completely ghosted. Or... When I, was, when I was an account executive, the only thing that we actually did was prospecting within our existing CRM, because what we could see within our existing CRM is there's a much higher likelihood that they are at least brand aware. So I look at sales, we have 200 customers, and probably within those 200 customers, I would say there's 7,000 contacts that are associated with our skill development content. We have roughly 38,000 contacts within our CRM. So if I just prospected within our CRM database, as opposed to going out, there's a much higher likelihood that somebody in our CRM is brand aware because somehow they got in there. Now, granted, if you got dirty data and you've got somebody that was really you know, trigger happy and just bought a ton of lists, like that's gonna be a challenge. But again, I'm talking likelihoods. So if they're in our CRM, they're much more likely. So those would be the two places I would look. For short term results, while you also build out more of a long term approach to intentional connections and content and uh, engaging with your target account's content. Yeah. So I actually don't want to recommend a template because here, the goal is not that we templatize the approach, the goal is that after three months of someone's content and actually showing up in a genuine way you would know what to say i know that sounds like a cop-out answer but none of the dms have looked the same like all of the dms are very specific and tailored to that individual because again through the comments sections we've been having conversations so I'll, i'll give you an example i just sent a dm literally last night and what the dm looked like was something very specific that they've been posting about for three months. And I said, by the way, I can't believe this is the first time we're messaging. I feel like we're already friends because we've been engaging in the comments for three months. So now the DM has nothing to do with skill development. It's not even on the radar right now, but I'm talking about something that is a genuine thing that they are interested in because I'm building a relationship. So there's that. Um, the other idea, if you wanted something, the, the other thing that we're yeah. doing, is again, the, the flip side is once you've connected with your target accounts and you're actually engaging with their content, there's a much higher likelihood that they will then also engage with your content. So one of the things that we've been doing for Sales Assembly is a more templatized approach around specifically doing outbound towards people that engage in our content. So that looks like something to the extent of, hey, thanks for love on my most recent posts about X, Y, and Z. You, know, you can probably tell that we're on a mission to help go to market companies do blank and that blank is related back to the post. We actually set up this ungated product demo and tour that gives a taste of what the sales team membership could look like. Clearly you're on top of this, but if you know anybody that's struggling with skill development for their go to market team, would you be open to sending them uh, this their way? We send that message three days later, we send another message that says, by the way, that post that I made was actually inspired by this other piece of content. If you wanna dive deeper in that topic, here's a here's a deeper dive. And we link that content. And then the third message, and this is the last message is, hey, if you are, like, just wanted to see what you thought about this tour page, specifically our live session samples. Like, were there any takeaways that you got? Were you able to send this on to anybody? And if they don't reply to that, totally fine, but we've sent three messages over the span of about a week and a half where it is specifically tying back to a very specific post, giving them additional content related to that topic that they engaged on, and then asking if they even looked at the page. Yes, I mean, I don't know if you are familiar with, with Chris Walker, but he's talking about a lot about this concept of revenue R&D. And you know, in the first episode around this concept of revenue R and D, or maybe it was this, I don't remember exactly what episode it was, but he talked about this concept of if your revenue programs are viewed like a product and you've got five stages and stage one is, did we get 10 inbound demo requests from an ICP fit person? And again, the time frame can vary depending on the, the program, but like that's stage one, did we get 10? Stage two is, did we get $500,000 in pipeline in a single month at any point? Stage three is then, did we get three consecutive months of $500,000 in pipeline, yes or no? I view the transition from scrappy to scalable after stage three, because at that point, if you are generating $1.5 $1.5 million in pipeline on a quarterly basis, or depending on your organization, maybe, it, maybe again, for example, I sell a $30,000 product. So for us, we're a smaller team, we'd actually be happy with $500,000 in pipeline on a quarterly basis from a specific program. So again, from that perspective, it may vary, but again, I would look at $500,000 per quarter or 1.5 million per quarter. And at that point, if your conversion metrics are holding the same, and you're being able to actually close 20, 25% of that pipeline, you could then very justifiably say, we need to scale this program. And that can look like adding headcount. That can look like adding technology. There's a variety of ways that you can do that. But that transition happens when you're actually able to generate at least a quarter of consecutive months of $500,000, for the quarter or 1.5 million for the quarter depending on your acv so that's that's my recommendation and again to your point what what is it like how do we then transition it to scrap or from scrappy to scalable it will likely look like a technology purchase because technology does really two things for you it makes it to where you can scale specific channels easier and have better reporting on those specific channels So you can run account-based ads without an ABM platform. You can just leverage LinkedIn. Or interestingly enough, if you've got a HubSpot instance, ad extension, you can actually run list-based ads in Google using HubSpot. So again, you could actually do account-based advertising in HubSpot using a list. So again, there are ways in which, depending on your existing tech stack, you can do some very specific account-based tactics. So again i would then it's difficult to give an exact like how do you do it but it is likely going to be either technology to fill in gaps from a channel perspective or a reporting perspective or it's going to be headcount so you can actually do more yes i mean the the biggest gap that i'm seeing from many marketers is the empathy for sales and the actual alignment with sales so you know, if I go to a salesperson and I say, hey, we're going to run an ABM program. I'm going to take your best fit potential customers and I'm going to market towards them. You know, when, when I was at Gravity, we were working with some of the world's largest brands. Um, you know, GE Aviation, for example, or Embraer Air. Again, they sell jets. So their sales team, <laughs> you know, their, their ACV is literally hundreds of millions of dollars. So I, as a marketer, go to their sales team And I say, hey, I'm going to market towards your accounts. Selling a a jet engine for GE Aviation is sometimes a literal 10-year sales cycle where the single rep is working on getting through procurement and building one-to-one relationships. So again, as a marketer, if I'm going to that person saying, I'm going to market towards your contact so I can accelerate the pipeline and educate them, what I'm doing to a salesperson that has not worked with a marketer in the past, as I'm saying, I'm going to play with your paycheck. I'm going to play with, it. I've been working for eight years. That's terrifying. So You need to have an empathy for sales. So like that's, that's not like a hard, tangible skill. It's, it's honestly, again, most marketers have the tactical skills to execute ABM where ABM falls down is the organizational alignment internally and the empathy for the other departments, because ABM is a very cross-functional approach to actually doing marketing. The other piece that is a little bit more tactical would be specifically around reporting. So because we're no longer measuring marketing typically on a clear handoff of you generate MQL or you generate a meeting and then marketing washes their hands of it and we're done. Marketing does in, in an APM approach, actually look at it through full funnel. So we're trying to actually get to a close. And then if uh good friend, Leslie Barrett just released literally yesterday uh, the comprehensive guide to account-based customer marketing. And I had a, a solid five page spread in it. So in that case, you're actually not just looking at presale, but it's entirely post-sale focused. So again, then you need to have very good and accurate reporting to actually understand what is the impact that marketing is having so that you can then actually justify the expansion of a program or you can justify the existence of a program. Because what I just shared is when you move from scrappy to scalable, you need to have clear sourced pipeline. And if you can't attribute it to your program, then you're not going to be able to make the business case that this is working. We need to expand it. We need to double down here. So those would be the two kind of big areas of, again, organizational alignment, executive presence, empathy for sales or empathies for cross-functional develop or cross-functional um, partnership. And then the, the tactical side would be the ability to do effective and accurate reporting.
2: To uh, touch upon the sales empathy part that you talked about, can you expand on that, right? So taking the GE example, right, how could you engage with the salesperson without affecting your ego and then and also making sure that you're you're willing to genuinely willing to work with them so what are some tactics or approaches that you would take
1: yes i mean when we talk about rolling out an account-based marketing program uh, i don't typically recommend rolling it out to an entire sales team so i'd actually start with more of a effort, and when you start with more of a grassroots effort you then can actually go to a specific seller that is more open yeah. to the idea so i I'd typically look at one of two places um, standardly, as a generalization, you're going to want to look at the top performers that have already hit quota or are really yeah. crushing it right now and are like, shoot, you're telling me that I can do even more? Sure, why not? Because yeah. at that point, they're not as concerned because they've already hit most of their goals. The other area to look would be at your lowest performers, the ones that are on a pip, the ones that are really struggling to actually hit their goals because. They're like shoot you're saying that you're going to come and help me <laughs> sure i'll take any help i can get it's typically the middle of the range people and again there are exceptions but as a generalization yeah. middle of the range people they're doing well enough that they don't want you to touch their stuff because they're afraid that you might screw them up and they're like just potentially on track to hit their goals and then when i kind of like hold on to it to make sure that they they have every control to hit their goals so okay. from that perspective like, again, having empathy to say, hey, look, I know that I'm asking you to to take a, a bet with me to see if we can build a program that actually makes you even more money. But again, this is new for the business. What we've seen from external sources is that this works, but this is new for us. So right. can you take the risk with me? Can you take the bet with me? And again, there it's a generalization. I'm sure that there are middle of the range reps that are very humble that would be open to it if you've got relationships and like... I know that's kind of a potentially a a cliche thing to say of like, go to your friends. But the reality is here, we're trying to find the path of least resistance. So if you have a great relationship with a sales rep, then they're more likely to to opt in with you. So that's that's a recommendation on that front. Um, And then how do you eventually scale that out? I recommend, you know, (laughs) you, you build an internal case study and you say X rep was on a PIP and then they partner with us on their, on an account program. We actually supported the development of relationships with their accounts. And now they are president's club. Like that would be the ideal state of you go from PIP to to top seller, but you know, even in other cases of, they were on a PIP or they were a lower performer and now they're a B player. Like they're they're doing X, Y, and Z. They saw this level of growth. I think every sales team would love to see their c players become b players and their b players become a players so at that point cool. what you've done through this grassroots effort is actually showcased hey. specific improvement in sales and actual revenue and then that speaks to the sales leader and the sales leader then becomes your greatest advocate and it's like look we're doing an account-based program with marketing we're going to make this happen it's gonna be awesome and at that point it then becomes something and i don't like to use the word mandated because you want people to be excited about it But it's no longer like a, hey, could you help me with this? It's like, this works for our organization. We need to do this across the team. Let's go. Because one one final piece on that, of the top five challenges that people experience with an account-based program, one of the top five challenges is getting buy-in from sales. Another one of the challenges, though, is meeting the demands of sales. So I always find that funny because, again, when you start, you can't get sales bought in. Once you get going and you actually prove success, you can't meet up. You can't keep up with how much sales wants your help. So again, it's yes, there's a, probably a ton of other strategies that you could run to, to develop a deeper sense of empathy. But I just think if you get started with somebody that's open to trying it, you don't make this whole like big company initiative around it. You just kind of say like, hey, we're going to do some of these things on the side, and like we're going to help you. Eventually, hmm. you can then prove out that case study and get um, adoption across the org.
2: Created by Admit.
1: Just a couple of questions,
2: right? On the measurement, right? So, how do you know your AVM programs are working, right? Is it like where is it trending? What are the metrics that you would look for? Uh, take that accurate. Can you yeah, um, that?
1: In a scrappy approach, I, I look at really two or three things. One, And people hate this answer Uh, i try not to live here too long but i mean it is truly target account engagement so again i look at the fact that i made a post this morning and a cmo at a target account commented on that post saying something that was very positive about me and sales assembly they're not a customer they're not in an active conversation that comment knows that we showcases that that cmo knows we exist and that they have a positive sentiment about us again i don't want to camp out in that answer forever if you have 12 months of The main leading metric is content engagement. Your executive team's gonna not love that answer. Um, But again, in an early stage, you know, two months in, if you're starting to show some pipeline and a lot of positive sentiment, you're on the right track. The eventual place that you wanna get to is specifically marketing sourced pipeline through these programs. So again, you can showcase specifically, we're sourcing pipeline. It's attributed back to these specific things that we were doing. And as a result, we know this program is working. The final right. piece is uh, the actual closed one revenue that is again, marketing sourced closed one revenue. So again, an account based program doesn't end at the handoff to sales. It ends at the close. So sure. from that perspective, like right now, I'll give you an example within the past, you know, three, three-ish months, or actually from April 1st to today, we've sourced 16 marketing sourced opportunities. If you go back to yeah. March, April or March, February, January, sell was averaging like zero or one inbound marketing source opportunities. So you can see massive increase on that front. Fantastic. None of it matters if it doesn't close. So now I'm focused on specifically how do I accelerate pipeline and actually provide the right content and enablement in the sales process so that my sales team can actually close those deals. So Again, those are the three main metrics. Early, it's a lot of content engagement. Kind of midway through the program, you're looking at marketing sourced revenue. Sorry, marketing source pipeline. Right. And then finally, you're looking at marketing sourced revenue.
2: Right. So the marketing sourced accounts are those ones which is not initially signed by the sales team. So you nurtured, you you identified the ICP, right? And, and at some stage, you qualify and then say it's, it's something that's ready to do a Uh, one-to-one, one-to-few type of an AVM and then put that into the pipeline. Is that what the definition of? Yes. I mean,
1: again, we're we're running a real scrappy program over here. So when I I talk about this, it is, again, we were engaging with them on LinkedIn. We were following them. We were showing up in their comments and really supporting and encouraging them. What that turned into is they started to show up to our content that was very specifically... Um, so, for example, we, had, we hosted a webinar that was on a topic that we knew that they would resonate with. From there, it, it's publicly accessible account-based marketing. So, they don't feel like they're being targeted, but we're intentional right. in ways in which we're actually setting them up to join and engage in our content. And then, eventually, they start to actually show up in our executives' comments, in our content, and then they come inbound. And, again, we can look back at the total relevant market and the account list and see these were people we intentionally sought out. Over the course of two to three months, they engage in our content, and then they opted in for a call. Marketing yeah. is working. That is how we measure that.
2: Okay. Fantastic. Uh, I have like ton of questions. I think we can keep going, but I wanted to be mindful of your time. And thank you so much for uh, taking this time and talking to me, like ton of practical advice right to tactical advice, right? it's not that like 30,000 feet level kind of advices i think so there are like a lot of this LinkedIn uh kind of tactics that you shared, i some of it i wasn't aware so i'm going to uh discuss with my team maybe even implement so thank you so much for uh for for joining me on the show mason um uh i will be in
1: touch and i'll take uh we'll keep talking awesome well thank you so much for having me i've really enjoyed it